Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody. We are back today on another episode of the Geek Buddies Review. Hey! What was that? I thought I'd throw that in there as a Geek Buddies Review because that's what we're doing today, reviewing uh, uh, The Boys Season 2. And we're getting into all the things that happened this season coming off of what was, uh, for all three of us, I think, a fantastic first season. Uh, but then eventually, you know, we kind of have to get into season two, which is what we just had finish up here this past week. And so we thought we'd jump into a, a spoiler review of this. And by the way, that's my signal spoilers from this point forward about this season two. So much happened in season two. We had Vaught coming out. We, we got the, uh, you know, we got the uh, thing that was discovered. What was it? What's it called? The, the compound V it was compound discovered. V. Compound V into these superheroes. Everything happened. We had some new uh, characters come in. Aya Cash came in as Stormfront. Uh, and we find out so much about her. Um, a Homelander's story gets a little deeper as he makes more of a connection with his son, who now becomes a prevalent part of season two as well. Is it uh, Shanna Van Sant, Chantel Van Santen? She uh, playing the playing the mom and the wife, uh, or ex-wife, or possibly still married uh, to Butcher. Uh, figuring how she's uh, you know raising her child, and then Homelander getting involved, and Stormfront getting involved, and then of course had all this side stuff going on as well uh, with all these different characters trying to get back in to the seven, including A-Train and the Deep. Um, and, of course, more with Hugh uh, and uh, and Starlight, their relationship deepening as well. And then we get some more uh, uh, stuff going on with all the other side characters as well. So uh, we should get into it. Jesus Christ, what an intro, I, huh? I, I, think, I, think you just, I think you just covered it. Okay. Uh, Thanks, yeah. everybody, for watching. Good, good, uh, good review. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to go back on with my day. I'm just explaining what happened. I'm not, I'm not saying I under the thoughts and points of views, but anyway, <laughs> my name is John Roga. Okay. I'm Michael Hogel here. He's great. <laughs> this is Shannon McClung. Uh, I'm having a hell of a morning, so I'm trying to put everything together. My mic stand broke as we're about to start, so I've got like a lot going on here. This move, I was... is really, uh, this move has not really uh, made you less stressed, it seems. It's made you more stressed. You're uh, having a morning down there. I'm just very relaxed, and all of a sudden things start going wrong, and I go slide into uh, L.A. Roca, and that's not good. i got to find San Diego Roca, which is more like, hey, it's cool, man. It's cool, man. We're going to figure it out. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. We're going to figure it out. Uh, anyway, uh, guys, what did you think? Uh, you know, but all three, I think all three of us enjoyed season one for the most part. Had, had some a, a couple of issues about it, but uh, we were excited to see where they were going to go with season two. I'm not from, I'm sure how familiar you guys are with the extended run of the comic book series. I don't think I only made it like 15 issues in uh, before the show itself started season one, that is. Uh, but season two carried a lot of weight, uh, a lot of topical references, some on the nose, some a little more subtle. 
Uh, Mikey, let's go with you. I mean, you, you put, you, you run shows, you put this stuff together. You've been executive who's run shows as well. You've written things uh, and what have you, like, what was your feeling about this overall season two of the boys? Uh, I think season two is great. I mean, you know, uh, we already talked about the first four episodes on our, uh, on our kind of like half point yes, review. And so we were we all did. pretty into that. Um, but overall, like I was super into it then. And I think the last four episodes really sort of solidified it as just a great season. I mean, if anything, uh, I think I don't, I, I might, I might even like this season more than season two, maybe. Uh, I just think that um, the, the, the mark of a good show is kind of taking your idea. Your season one sort of establishes your idea. And a lot of shows, you know, don't really get past that. So you get to season two and you start to get into rehashing and then season three is rehashing. And you can really tell with what they did with season two, that they've got a lot of big plans and they just kept elevating everything. And, you know, like with right. the introduction of Stormfront, which we talked about, you know, you kind of brought in a character that kind of could go toe to toe with Homelander. And we definitely mm -hmm. saw where that all went uh, and kind of like really deepening the, uh the the character backstories for all the heroes you know i think mm -hmm. in that first review we talked a lot about how you kind of took this kind of super powered people on one side and the boys on the other side from season one yeah. and you started to really like uh bleed into each other that the huey and starlight relationship particularly but we got a deeper story with mave we got a deeper story with a train we got a deeper and ridiculous story with the deep mm -hmm. uh you know like every single one of the seven we got a little bit more um nuance to and you really saw in this last four episodes uh particularly with the relationship of like uh butcher and starlight you started mm -hmm. to see how and butcher and his son obviously you started to see how um the lines of good and bad started ceased to be super powered and non-super powered yeah. and started to be a very different thing so i thought it was endlessly fascinating amazing social commentary i think i actually tweeted uh, about a week ago when i was watching mm -hmm. episode seven that uh kind of watching the boys with all of their social commentary about the world uh, yeah. while living in the world of 2020 <laughs> that has gone in crazy. It was getting kind of hard to remember what was real and what was not because the social yeah. commentary was bleeding into what was actually happening. So it was an amazing experience to watch this at this point in, uh, in the year. Shannon? Yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I would say I would go even further and say I definitely enjoyed season two more than season one. Uh, I think a lot and like I don't remember season one beat for beat, but when you are assembling a team, it can be a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of exposition. And because the team was already assembled, we were able to kind of just hit the ground running. Yeah. And from an action standpoint, you know, the, the boys was a huge hit for Amazon Prime. So they gave them a little bit more money. And that's definitely evident in the action sequences. I mean, there are some fantastic, I mean, I want to say like Homelander's flight scenes, because again, I'm one of the mm. people that did like Man of Steel. Um, mm. But I think overall, eh, <laughs> but I think overall, I prefer watching Homelander fly than watching Superman. I mean, just, I, I don't know if it's because I'm so much more interested in the character mm. or if it's just that the effects are that much better. But, you know, the scene where, what, what's, what's the, what's the, congresswoman's name is it uh, uh newman victoria, victoria newman victoria newman yeah. when he when he goes down and and she's at that rally and he basically has that sort of many many uh, uh fantasy of laser eyeing all the crowd and then he you know yeah. he kind of comes back too and then launches off i mean there was just some fantastic action in this and just the characters that they added with with dynamic performances and stan edgar with uh giancarlo esposito and Aya Cash yeah. with stormfront and even on a very much on a smaller level but uh ashmore as lamplighter yeah I, mean, yeah I mean one of the one of my favorite moments was when they're they're in what is it sage grove is that the, the name grove. of the facility um when they're watching that uh security footage and frenchy recognizes him and then yeah. you know the next episode you get that fantastic backstory of this is what happened right. and i mean it was just so like like that fucking lamplighter it was like oh that was so that was so powerful and was so exciting to see and then even going back and looking at lamplighter's costume even though we did see a little bit of it in the first season just sort of in the statue but it was like oh yeah this is a guy that was made by committee mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean this yeah. is a guy with no sleeves and a hood carrying a giant impractical torch yeah. <laughs> which if you're fighting and fires your weapon sure i get it it's like really it seems like the lighter's way easier to maneuver Right. I think that's what when I think of season two, I think they made a great job of skewering everybody they were trying to skewer, but also never like 
discounting the stakes or undercutting the stakes of what they were dealing with throughout the show. The lamp ladder thing is obviously a shot of people cosplay and whatever and dress up in these weird kind of costumes and whatever and carry the sticks and all this old Middle Earth stuff. And it's brilliantly funny the way they're skewering it. But you never feel like they're actually personally coming after you. It's just a fun conversation to have outside of it to look at something like that. So that's a great reference. And seeing and I love the fact that it's Iceman versus uh, lamplighter, right? It's the fact that he's going to fire versus where he was before with the X-Men and still kind of relating back to the X-Men when he talks about how when he first used his power, he's burned his house down and his dad was proud of him. Whereas uh, if you remember in X2, I think they go to visit his family and his family's ashamed that he's Iceman. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that juxtaposition that they do a little wink and nod to the people who are really into superhero movies, I thought was genius as well. Having Esposito in this was great. I, I enjoyed his character. I liked what he did. Um, we'll get to a little bit of the things that we didn't like about the, the season a little bit later, but I did enjoy having his kind of energy throughout the whole thing and the changes in status, you know, from one minute he's, uh, you know, kind of putting Homelander in his place. The next he's begging Homelander to, to kind of help him. And then later on, he's turning on Homefront for the betterment of, uh, of the company itself. And, it, you know, that scene between him and Butcher in the last episode is uh, is a straight up uh, honest uh, conversation to have saying, like, hey, this idea of idealism, like it's bullshit when it comes to businesses and corporations. That's not what this is about. It's always about the bottom line. And hey, you fooled yourself that it never was. It's always been about the bottom line. And that was such a, a very honest and frank conversation that might have sent chills down uh, the spines of some people who still think that corporations uh, ultimately want to do good. You know, they most of them are about making money, making, the, you know, staying ahead and, and being successful as a business. And they'll make deals with anybody, almost anybody, if it means the, the overall success of the company, you know, and uh, the changes. And the, I mean, I, I loved how we got more with uh, Stormfront, how she grew in power as the season went along because at first it was cute she was doing her little thing and she was you know doing all that you're thinking oh she's just she's supposed to be kind of a modern hero and what have you and then you realize no actually she's been doing this for a hundred years and is connected to the nazis so she understands how to use propaganda to manipulate the populace into doing the things that they, they want them to do and essentially creating a race war right at the end he she has that conversation or in the last episode she has a conversation with uh, with uh, homelander's child and says like you know if they hate us because of the color of our skin it's white genocide like this whole idea this concept of did you guys genocide. catch homelander like there was a moment yes of yes huh. he was uncomfortable with that yes huh. <laughs> right 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 but he's lost so it makes sense because he's such a lost character uh, anybody who has any semblance of power and will take care of him and love him, he'll gravitate to. Why? Because he was raised in a test tube, essentially, or test facility by that doctor. So, uh, Mike, well, any, also, any point you want to make? Yeah, well, I mean, also, you know, along the lines of Homelander having that reaction, uh, there was also that great moment where Stormfront was talking about to Homelander about what was really important. Right. And she was like, the real important thing here is, uh, you know, is is doing what we need to do for our race and it's not about the fans and it's not about the applause and it's not about the celebrity i mean we're going to move past that we don't need it anymore and you just right. saw homelander kind of go like that's clearly what he needs i mean all homelander wants in his life is someone to um to to, to just like him i mean yeah. and and if and he's so fucked up and mad about it i also thought they did a really nice job uh you know kind of starting with um Starlight calling Butcher out outside yeah. of Stage Grove and saying that he's basically uh, calling Butcher out and saying he's just like Homelander. Yeah. Um, and then introducing um, uh, Butcher's dad. Uh, mm -hmm. John and Noble. Then, yeah, John Noble, who who yeah. doesn't love a good, like John Noble can show up for five minutes with dyed hair and a leather jacket and do his thing and I'm in because he's amazing. Right. Um, but then like kind of really in that episode hitting the hitting home, like you see Butcher with his dad who basically says, yeah, I might have raised you shitty, but I turned you into what you are, so you're welcome. And then having Butcher yeah. go directly to sit down with Vogelbaum, who talks about how Homelander was really sweet, and he turned Homelander. Like you really, even Butcher yeah. realizes you see that like Butcher and Homelander are two sides of the same coin. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that's really, really fascinating. The way they did a really nice job of laying that out and establishing it. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, I had a question for you because yeah. when we yeah. um, 
when we when last we left our conversation about the boys, dun, dun, dun. Uh, you were not a big fan of the Starlight and Huey relationship and how Starlight had treated Huey kind of coming back from that trip and saying we can't be together anymore. Yeah. Where do you stand on Starlight and Huey now that we've reached the end of the season? Well, like anything else in a, in a you know, like any good series, you take uh, one of your primary relationships and you mess with the audience um, about that relationship. You make them think one thing or the other, and then episodes come along and they switch around. This is the gift of this show is that one second you could be with somebody and they completely turn on its head and you have to rethink what you were thinking an episode ago or two episodes ago. And the same thing with this relationship, Michael. Yeah. When we last, we left, I wasn't happy with this happening. Felt like, you know, Starlighter got what Starlight got what she wanted and see a Huey peace out. But he like, he found his way back to it and negotiating and she found her way back to it as well. So you have that moment that when he goes to try to save her, I think it's in the eighth episode or seventh episode, Oh, I'm sorry, seventh episode or sixth episode, when he goes to try to save her when she's been captured in that facility uh, with Lamplighter, there's that moment she says, what are you doing here? And he doesn't even say anything. He just smiles because that's his way of saying, I love you, that's why I'm here. And she smiles back at him going, okay, my issues with this relationship are over. I want to be with this guy. And so it's just and right in front of the mom. And so you're like, okay, it it was really great the way they twisted it away from it happening and then made brought you right back to it happening, which is smart. You want to keep the will there, won't they going throughout the whole season? So yeah, I've turned around on that relationship. And I think now I'm excited to see where the relationship goes in season three, considering how they ended season two with their conversation on the bench where they both basically were like, yeah, I just want to be with you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I love that. I mean, in all the darkness, Mike and Shannon, in all the darkness of this entire show, there's this one, and it's ironic, of course, because she's Starlight, that there's one uh, light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel is this relationship. It's the one good thing in this entire show that has been tainted uh, by all the ugliness around it is this relationship between Huey and Starlight. It's It's real, it's pure, and you appreciate it for what it is considering all the madness around you. You might well, say it's a starlight at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, but I do think, you know, I mean, I, what I what I really enjoy about both seasons of The Boys taken as a whole <laughs> is you have you have all these larger-than-life strong characters. And, yeah. you know, on the human side, you've got Frenchie, you've got Butcher, you've got Mother's Milk, you've got uh, Kimiko, and then you've got all of these superheroes who can literally, like, kill you with a glance. And in the middle of all this, you've got Huey. And yeah. they make such a point that Huey just does not belong. He's not strong. He's not the toughest uh right. and you know i think they made such a strong point uh, and i just absolutely love that scene where he was in the hospital recovering from uh getting flipped around in that car yeah and starlight and butcher have that conversation where they're both kind of like you know huey's the light huey's the yeah. canary huey's yeah. the huey's the thing that keeps you on the straight and narrow and i think that in a show that is constantly sort of uh, wrestling and arguing with what is good, what is bad, you know, are these heroes really heroes? Are the boys the heroes? They're doing yeah. horrible things, but they're preventing, you know, like you don't really know. And that for everybody, you have this completely average guy in the middle who's mm -hmm. just a good guy. I yeah. mean, that's all he's got going for him. But in a way, yeah. that's the most important thing. And everybody kind of needs that. I mean, even Starlight says, you know, he's like, she says to Butcher, you know, he's too good for both of us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you really, you really, you, you get a lot about that. And I do really enjoy watching Starlight being this person who did grow up um, wanting to be a legit hero. And, you know, yeah. we've kind of watched her kind of come into this world where she's had to grow up and learn how to navigate things and learn that right. the idea of what a hero is, uh, is, is unrealistic. So she's now kind of searching for what does a hero mean? And I think I loved at the end, mm. first of all, I got to say, Girl Fight 2020 was fucking amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, there's something so enjoyable in a show that's called The Boys. Yeah. Watching the boys stand to the side while four women kick the shit out of each other because they're the strongest people there. I mean, like right. watching like Kimiko, Maeve, and Starlight uh, just go off on Stormfront was yeah. super enjoyable. But then what I was going to say is just the fascination of, you know, we got to season two and we knew that Starlight was kind of like doing her own thing. Her and Huey were trying to figure things out and like she was kind of working in secret. And you get that shot at the end of Homelander, Maeve and Starlight standing yeah. there uh, all like, oh, yep, everything's great in front of the cameras. You know, oh, thank God. Sorry, Starlight. I was really sorry that I, uh, yeah. that I, that I accused you. And all three of them now are completely aware where the others stand. Like right. all three of them know exactly where each of the others is in this big scheme of things and watching how that is going to play out 
right including black noir waking up and being really pissed about the almond joy like it's going to be just a fascinating <laughs> thing to see in season three and talking about that scene i mean i, I wanted to jump over to the performances for just a second because yeah. across the, across the board the cast they, they're doing just great work i mean yeah. in that scene in particular with anthony Starr's homelander playing dead behind the eyes is mm -hmm. really hard um like as as a performer you you look to connect but as the camera is pushing in on him at the end and you just see just there's nothing there yeah. like there is just there's there's no soul behind those eyes mm -hmm. um that's really hard i mean I, like he he's had a menacingly charming performance for two years right. but that moment in particular my god that's that's really impressive and yeah. uh, chase crawford okay as a comedic performer, it's very easy to dismiss pretty people because <laughs> a lot of people develop their sense of humor as a defense mechanism. Mm. So when you see Chase Crawford turning in some of the funniest moments oh, yeah. of this season, one with him jumping up on the whale and realizing that boat is not going to stop. Oh, my God. And also at the end, when they're at the Church of the Collective, him and A-Train, and you find out that the seven first he's he's willing to disavow a train right away sir i didn't know that f this guy yeah. and then the next moment you find out the seven's taking back a train he's like all oh, right he's giving him a high five he's like so what about me and they're like ah, oh, yeah and like yeah. <laughs> what's his name goren the guy from er goren what's his last yeah, name uh visnich goren visnich like seeing him quoting uh stan from earlier saying one is redemption to his weakness yeah. and just you see him just kind of melt down he's like you know i got married to a freaking weirdo <laughs> fuck the fresca like he he really turned in some some great very noteworthy pro, uh performance moments this season uh yeah. I, I actually think that uh, i was watching with my brother and i think actually a yes to all of that the funniest moment for the deep to me this year uh was when he walked into queen mave's trailer uh, having like talked to his, what did he call them? He was like, I talked to my guys, talked to my guys and they found this. And he was talking about a bunch of halibut that like found yeah. the phone under the water. He's like, talk to my guys. And uh, you're like, dude, it was fucking, you're talking about fucking fish. Like, stop it. It's really like, yeah, I, I agree. He's great. Uh, everything with that cult uh, is really yes. interesting. And like where they ended up with there, like, you know, like the, it, the, they Vought is obviously the big power in this world, but right. in introducing what's the name of the cult in the, the church, remember, church right? of the collective, church the of the church. Collective. So right. introducing the church of the collective uh, as sort of a pretty powerful force uh, that yeah. you know, doing it negotiations uh, with Vought on who's in, who's out, and then ending where we ended, which we can talk about in a minute. Like kind of like what does that mean? But like uh, with Victoria Newman uh, mm -hmm. and the big reveal there, like you're really introducing two more big sets of powers that. Right. Not sure where it's all going to go, but like definitely a lot to uh, speculate on for season three. Well, and that's what I enjoyed. Like the Church of Collective, obviously, obviously Shades of Scientology. And obviously, Shannon, you and I have been watching The Vow on HBO. and We did a review. What am I, Chuck Liver? Like I'm not watching The Vow? I don't know what you're doing, man. Calm down. I would, Maybe we just you should did the ask review. once in a while. We did oh, the review God. together. Jesus. Leaving me oh, out, like oh, Jesus. Jesus! Wow, enjoy your sushi. I'm just saying, like we 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 have we, have, we did the review of the vow here on uh, on on the Outlaw Nation channel. The first uh, first three episodes, and then of course we're gonna come back to it now that it's almost over. And but like it's there's shades of it as you're watching the show, and I'm sure Mike, since you're watching it now, like we've revealed to the world, I'm sure you felt that too. You were seeing these these like these beats repeating themselves. Yeah. In the science, I mean, when he calls him a suppressive person, all of that is there, or a toxic person, or whatever. It's very similar <laughs> to the suppressive person thing, you know. And having a guy like Goran, who's got that kind of, you know, like kind of that smooth leader vibe to him, having him do the things that he's doing, you know, all around. And then all the like all the the thing where they sat down with the psychiatrist, who's like breaking them down, and then you have to surrender stuff about yourself that you really don't want anybody to know. That just all of it is just there that repeats itself, you know. So even skewering that idea of a cult, uh, and uh, and the deep at the end yelling at Gorn Business saying, I signed over my bank account, I gave you everything, I'm not taking any more dumbass classes. Like, you guys aren't getting me in, I gotta get to here. So, I wonder now, like you said, Mike, at the end, who slides into this void of power at the church of the collective? Will it be the deep? Will it be the deep? That, that I think that's the long term thing where he becomes powerful because at some point you know this in great in great uh, stories or great uh, uh series someone who is constantly in the submissive 
it it behooves you to eventually move them into a powerful position or a dominant that, position. And that's I hadn't thought like of what they're going to do with the deep. Yeah, yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that. And that would be what if, if season three is the church of the collective in disarray and the deep stepping in yeah. and taking control. Boy, that would be some shit to see. So I, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm here for that. I am here for that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Victoria Newman a little bit. Like, so, you yeah, know, obviously yeah. early in the season, they revealed a head exploder. Right. Uh, we didn't quite know who that was. And then with the ending of episode seven, head exploder went crazy. Right. Uh, and then at the very, very end, we find out that it uh, is, uh, is the boys version of AOC, Victoria Newman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we, and we set her up as this <laughs> kind of big threat for the next season, which I thought was really interesting. Didn't right. see it coming uh, in interviews. They point out that uh, they basically telegraphed it from the start. I think I'd have to go back and watch, but in the interview I read uh, with the boys uh, creative team, they were saying that um, as soon as Frenchie says, who do we know that has powers like that? I think the very next scene is Victoria Newman. I mean, they were like yeah. just putting a spotlight on it. Um, so A, what do we think about her being the head exploder? And B, what do we think about Huey uh, kind of trying to do the right thing and joining up with her campaign at the end? Right, right. Well, I mean, that's that's fertile ground for storytelling right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the fact that you, you have exposed this other threat. And I think it gets back to what you had said before, Mike, that it's not just soups versus normals now it's kind of good versus bad and even mm -hmm. though her intentions might have been good like what how she's achieving them is bad yeah. so she yeah. absolutely is going to play a part well, next season I, I and also do yeah. oh go ahead no go ahead I, I, think, I also think they're laying the groundwork for ending the show and by that i mean with huey there Huey could be like learning how to become a politician himself, figures out what she's doing. And then that's the whole season three of trying to stop her or, you know, do whatever so that Huey ends up being in this position of power in the Senate. Uh, the Deep is in a position of power at the Church of the Collective. And eventually either the Maeve or Starlight leads the seven by the end of the show. Uh, the end of the run of the show. That's what I think they're setting up. So all three of them have an uneasy but uh, good truce uh, about how they want to see the how they want to change the I world mean, to a better place, or they all die. I don't know. I just feel like that's the possibility here. So moving Huey into this situation is having him trying to do good, which is his natural instinct in a political way. So will he be moved into a position where he might run for a representative or whatever, and then see where he's at and discovers what she's doing? And what have you. I don't know. Just something I'm throwing out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know that that's the way they're going with Huey. I think mm. that, uh, I think that, you know, Huey thinks he's out. I mean, like he, he, they kind of got a little bit of a happy ending there at the end. Like it looked like everything had settled down and right. everyone had kind of worked things out. And Huey was like, I'm going to go do this now. Obviously he's not in a safe position uh, working with Victoria Newman kind of Shannon to your point. I don't know that she is doing things for the right reasons. I mean, much like no, Stormfront at the beginning of season two, you know, she's set up as a politician that is mm. trying to do what we think of as the right thing. Right. Um, but like, clearly she's got her own game that she's playing in ulterior motives. I think Huey's in the right position to again, be the guy that like finds out that something is not what it appears and has to go back to the team. Uh, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. And also with the seven, um, I think Starlight ending up leading the seven might be somewhere where they go, but I don't find that to be an ending because the seven mm -hmm. is still basically run by Vought. I mean, the seven is not mm -hmm. really the Justice League or the Avengers because they've got this giant corporation. And Johnny, to your point, yeah. corporations, not great. So right. really the right. ending is going to be not um, what this what is what is good for the seven, but it's like, do we even need a seven? I also know, uh, mm -hmm. is it Jansen Ackles is coming in next season? Yeah. Jensen oh, okay. yeah. yeah, as a character called Soldier Boy. Uh, who apparently <laughs> has been Captain around for America, decades? Right? Yeah, the kind yeah. of their Captain America, oh, someone who nice. has been nice. someone who has been who was Homelander before Homelander was Homelander. And wow. I think, much like Stormfront, uh, what is this guy like? Is he another guy who has a past that's not as shiny as he looks, or is he going to actually be Captain America? I mean, are you going to have like the right. actual patriotic hero show up and face off against the perceived patriotic hero that is Homelander? So I think right. that's going to add a whole nother dimension to things as well. And again, like I think where the boys shines is look, it's funny. It's got great action. It's right. got ridiculous over the top violence. It's got giant penises choking people. It's got like giant whales exploding. Like, like as far as like okay, all of the holy nightmare. shit, right. holy yeah. shit, I can't believe I just watched that. Right. It's got all that in spades. 
But what it has underneath all of it, and the reason that I find this show so fascinating, is that it's like some crystal clear, super sharp uh, social commentary. Like yeah. to me, oh, yeah. I think the best the best moment of the season, the part that just made me go, fuck, um, I think it's the beginning of episode seven, mm. but it's watching that kind of heavy set guy in glasses. It's that whole sequence. It's opening up with him oh, yeah. waking Shooting, up, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. waking up, kind yeah. of listening to the to the yeah. to the media, like listening to Stormfront on the internet, watching yeah. YouTube clips. He's got a Stormfront poster in his room. He leaves his room. He pops his ear pop his earbuds in. Yeah. He's like listening to more. Like we've got these supervillain threats coming in from the Middle East. We've got this, we've got that. Anybody could be it. And just watching him sort of in, within like a two minute sequence, yeah. watching someone who was a superhero fan become super radicalized, yeah, yeah. shoot somebody, and then kind of following it up with that rally where Stormfront and Homelander are like, hey, we're really we're really sad that that guy got killed. We're donating a lot of money to these organizations. And then Homelander's right. like, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, but... <laughs> There's a lot of threats out there, guys, and just like stoking those <laughs> fires. And like, like I said, watching that while I, you know, then stop watching the boys and flip over to uh, CNN or MSNBC, right? And watching what's going on in the world, you're like, you know, like to, not to get too political, but to watch something like that and follow it up a week later with 13 guys who are going to kidnap a governor, like you're just sort of like, yeah. ah, this, is, uh, this is this is on point. The right. boys is on point, and. That's the best thing that these shows do. I mean, what super what superheroes stories do at their best, mm. whether it be in comic book form, in movie form, or in serialized television, yeah. is they offer like a commentary on what is good and evil. Who are the heroes and the villains? What does it mean to be a good guy or a bad guy? And ultimately, that's what The Boys is all about. And I think season two really crystallized that even more than season one did. And yeah. for any of our fans who were community watchers, uh, that actor, the guy who gets radicalized, I believe that is Neil, Formerly known as Fat Neil, oh yeah, first from from uh, he was a recurring player on Community. He's the reason that the uh, the D and D episode happened. It was oh yeah yeah. Um, but also, I mean, to what you said, I think uh, after the uh, propaganda stuff is uh, released of Stormfront, and you see the guy doing a selfie, like, hey, I can't believe I have to say this nowadays, but yeah. Nazis are bad. And it's like, yeah. yep. Yeah, all of that. I mean, I think another scene that stands out, and that's a great scene to point out. I remember that I was yelling at the television after the end of that sequence, and uh, Lindley lean, leaned over. She's like, yeah, you can't watch this here in the living room. You're going to have to watch this in the other room. Because that I was like, I was so mad at that two-minute scene. I was so mad because yeah. that's how it happens. That's how you make it happen. And people who lie that their rhetoric doesn't motivate people to do this shit are, are bullshit artists. And so watching that happen is absolutely their way of saying, no, this is how it could happen. This is how brutal it can be. Uh, and it's unsettling. And the way the boy starts every episode is that way and just goes, the boys. Just It's like, this is the life. This is America. This is what's really happening. Just simple and straight uh, to you and as a matter of fact. And I, and I kind of love that presentation. And you just have to deal with it as the story goes along. Um, I think the scene with, uh, with uh, Layla Robbins' character and uh, uh, the homie from... Uh, from Deadwood and uh, and uh, the 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 representative, they're all in the office, and you know she's he's like, well, the president said we got to give Compound V to all the police. That's like, oh shit, I think I've heard that before. Well, they want to arm the police, they want to divert funds to you know get more armor for the police, more tanks for the police. Where have I heard that before? You know, this whole idea of using weaponry and putting it in the hands of people to use against citizens, against the citizens to supposedly protect against supervillains. All of that was un uncomfortable. Comfortably topical, like, uh, and all, and then him to say like, "Oh, what do you have on me? What I'm sleeping with my nanny? Give me a break. Put it out. I'll be on Fox News in a heartbeat, making money, and I'll be this shit will be shithole will be right behind me." Like, yep, that's actually how it's happening. So, I like, just, uh, like really all things, like all things in the boys, the social commentary is not subtle. <laughs> no, it's not, and I appreciate that. And you're right, Mike. I mean, you couldn't just do a show that's making fun of superheroes. You have to have some more depth to it. Uh, and this is what it is, and that's why I appreciate it as well. well to, to, yeah, go no, ahead. Just, just to that really quick point, yeah. really quick. Don't forget what you were going to say. I was just going to say, like, like what I love about the boys is it's it's less that it's making fun of superheroes, right? And more that more than we would like to admit, it's just taking a world of superheroes and going, if we're really being honest. Yeah, this is what it would be. It is, <laughs> like it's, it's less, it's less, aren't these superheroes funny? Yeah, yeah. And more, let's be real. If this were, if we really had superheroes, like it or not, yeah. 
this is what you're more likely to get. And yeah. that's why, you know, and like Garth Ennis, when he created this, it was that the idea that like going, it's, it's nice. We all love Superman uh, and Batman and Captain America and Iron Man. And we love watching these stories about these heroes that do these, that are the best of us. Yeah. Sadly in the real world, what Garth Ennis said and what the series says is, are the people that have those powers going to be the best of us or are they going to be just like the rest of us? Like yeah. that's really what it kind of boils down to. But what were, aside, I didn't mean to write out what were you no, saying? No, no. Two points? It's a festivus. You might say a festivus for the rest of us. Uh, two things I want to bring up, two storylines. Uh, I want to get to the overall thing, Homelander and kind of wrap up the show, but I want to get into the Queen Maeve stuff. What did you guys feel about the Queen Maeve stuff? <laughs> all of that. Yeah, please talk to me, Mikey. What did you feel about all this? Because I mean, I think they did redeem her to a degree, but I also felt like at times it was a bit convenient. But you know, her storyline as you know being outed against her will and then having then having that turned into a narrative against her will uh, seemed really uh, you know like a, a tough thing to watch. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that anything was too convenient. I mean, I think she's a really interesting character. I really enjoyed like the, the, the idea of a character who she, you can tell she kind of wants to do good, but right. at the same time, she's not going to take the, well, it didn't look like she was going to take the steps that Starlight was. Like when Starlight right. was like, come with me. I mean, like Queen Maeve does shove that almond joy in Black Noir's mouth. She does. Thank God. And then she does show up at the end to face off against Stormfront. But, uh, but she's definitely struggling with, she, she also she kicks him out of her house, though, man. She also says, get the fuck out of my house, you know? So. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that she, and she says it to Starlight, like, yeah. I don't think she believes the world can be better. She's oh, lived in yeah. this world of superheroes for so long That's that fair. it's like, this is this is the, this is what you get. This is the world. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see where her art continues. On the gay stuff, uh, yes, watching Homelander, as a gay person watching Homelander out her on national television, the way he did, like was like just a, it's a gut punch. You're like, that is, that is some fucked up shit. Also watching the way that Vought capitalizes on it is amazing because I mean, look, a lot of people will say this, you know, every year when we get to June and it's gay pride month and every fucking company in the world comes up out, comes up with, you know, uh, Budweiser, be proud when you drink it. Oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You know absolute vodka. Hey, you know, Kit Kat bars, uh, rainbow flavor. You know, it's like the way that every company is like, hey, gay people, you spend a lot of money. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So like yeah. that commercial with her, with her pride energy bar, where it's like, it's like pride. And it's like, you can't be proud on an empty stomach. You're just like, again, like I said, you're like, it's, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. And also it's 1000% on point. Like yeah. the way that Vought is like, great. Okay. You're going to be a lesbian. We're going to capitalize it. I also found it hilarious that they kept referring to her and her girlfriend as the second most popular lesbian couple in the world, <laughs> because it's just a given that Ellen and Portia de Rossi yeah. are like, like maintaining that number one slot. <laughs> like, like it, it, it was very funny. So yeah, it, it's uh, great. Not uh, judging by the ratings. Uh, um, yeah, and Colby Minifee was great too, right? Her as the publicist. I mean, she was quietly one of the best parts of the season. Oh, like her dealing with girl. changes. I mean, she's such great comedy. She's the, losing her hair. The, the bald yes. spot, the visible bald spot that she has in the finale where she's been yanking her hair out. What's wrong with your hair? <laughs> 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 and what it must be like to be at the service of these people as a publicist. It must be horrific. Well, horrific. And from someone in her position's point of view, who was, you know, she was under Elizabeth Shue the first season. Elizabeth right. Shue was gone. The natural assumption is, okay, I'm going to be this person. And she starts to feel herself a little bit. Yeah. And Homelander, uh, in very quick fashion, lets her know that's not how this relationship is going to work. Right, right, yeah. Um. Also, really, as we're as just we're laughing yeah. about things, I, I just want to point like the uh, dawn of the seven being oh a God. very clear, uh, yeah, <laughs> very clear parallel to uh, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel as, uh, sure. as 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 fans of that Snyderverse, but I fucking loved it. I thought I it was great. Loved it. Yeah, uh, I hate Dawn I, of Justice, so I, I I loved it. I think we also uh, I think I we said this on the about. first. Yeah, yeah. I think we also said this on the first review of the first four episodes, yeah. but uh, but yeah, that uh, that that when the director is kind of going through the script and oh. getting notes from everybody mm -hmm. and like just the whole thing, I was I, I said it before, I'll say it again. Nothing about Dawn of Justice struck me as parody, or Dawn of the Seven. <laughs> Dawn of the Seven struck me as parody. It struck me as a yeah. a hard hitting docu film on what it's really like <laughs> to make these movies. <laughs> for the record, Michael Bay would never pitch a film 
in that manner. Let's just make that clear. That's all those nerdy guy, nerdy writer guys out there thinking what they thinking that they know what action is. Michael Bay knows what action is. There's a difference. Yeah, he just doesn't know what story or character is, but sure, he knows what action is. That is true. <laughs> what does he care? He can't even hear you with all the dollar bills coming out of his ear. I hear you though. I understand your point of view. Um, what about Kamiko and Frenchie? Did we like this storyline with them getting together, kind yeah. of the, the, the the as it went along? Yeah, tell me. What well, you I, mean, I I think season two they kind of tied up. You're like, all right, if we don't get a second season, this is a way or a third season, this is a way to tie everything up. Yeah, true. Mother's Milk is back with his family. Right. Uh, Butcher is heading up this new this new unit, and uh, Kimiko and Frenchie are going dancing. And I thought yeah. that was a really I thought that was a really sweet way to possibly tie up their relationship. Yeah. 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 I thought, I thought they did a really good job of it. Uh, you know, not making it too over the top or, uh, it was, it was nice and subtly done. And you really saw that like Frenchie kind of Frenchie's backstory with Lamplighter and finding out what he had done and why he was feeling all this guilt and why he hated Lamplighter so much. And then him sort of saying to Kimiko, like, I was trying to protect you to kind of like make up for my past sins. Yeah. And I realized like you never asked to be protected. Like right. you, you, you right. don't need that. Uh, and then once he sort of let that go, the fact that she then was like, all right, now I'm going to teach you how to, how to do the the language. Right. Uh, he picked it up really quick between episode seven and eight. Like he came in and it was like, and I was like, Ooh, you got, you, you've been, you've been cramming, but I thought it was, but I thought it was super, super sweet. I thought it was lovely. So I thought like, yeah, it's kind of to Shannon's point that got wrapped up. Mother's yep. milk gets to be with his family. Butcher gets what he wants, sort of. Yeah. Huey feels like he's in, like the starlight is back in the seven. Like they, I don't know that it's so much a this would be a good place to wrap up because there's just sort of this like natural tension underneath all of it because the bigger problems of this universe are still there. Yeah. Um, but I think it kind of gives us like a momentary reprieve so that when we do get back to season three, I think we will open up on everybody at least for the moment. Yeah. kind of in a good place before the shit all really hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, we, with, I think you said you wanted to end on this, but we haven't really talked a lot about like that final scene with butcher and Homelander yes. and Homelander's son. Yeah. And like what, cause I mean, I think that's the other big piece of this that we haven't really uh, also, delved into. Also Stormfront's still alive. Let's put that in the in the in the mix. She, she might be. She, 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 might, she might not be dead. Yeah, she might not Although, be alive. She might not be dead. You're right, Mike. We don't know, but they said she's been locked away. But who knows if they're lying? That's for sure. Yeah, well, who knows I think, if they're lying? I think that's absolutely spin. But but knowing that she has lived as long as she has, yes. she might have some regenerative capabilities, much like Kimiko does. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe yeah. maybe her Nazi limbs are going to regrow themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, look, it's definitely clear based on um her uh, sexcapades with Homelander that she can take a beating. I don't know that she can regrow limbs, but, uh, but we'll see. But I mean, the other question though, is like what, and I mean, this is really the more the question from the writing side than from like the geeky, did she, or did Mm -hmm. she not survive? Like if they want her to survive, that's easily justifiable. The question is now that she's sort of been outed as a Nazi, what role can she serve? Like, like she's, and I'm not, look, I'm not like we, again, just take a look around America. Like right. you can be an out and out Nazi and you can still have a role. Like, so it'll be, but it'll be interesting to see in the big scheme of the church of the collective. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the church of the collective, the government, uh, you know, the pop, the political side Vought. where does an outed Nazi fit into all this? And if, and if they have a good place for it, then yeah, I think she'll probably survive. Yeah. And I think the symbolic nature of keeping her alive makes sense too, because white power, white genocide, that I that whole perception of white genocide, the Nazi feeling of white supremacy that never goes away. So she doesn't die because that concept doesn't die. So but it makes all to the that sense point. The there might be there might be an arc. And again, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I think having her be alive, if they have the right story for it, is great. Yeah. There's also a really great story for all the people that were kind of behind Stormfront, who yeah. now she's their martyr. You know, like in yes, the absence right. of a Stormfront, does right. that cause bigger problems? So I think right. that'll be an interesting thing to see as well. Well, maybe she'll um, end up in a hospital with a mix of uh, steroids and survive. Who knows? Who knows? And do and come out feeling. 20 years younger. We shall 20 see. 20 years younger. We yeah. shall see. Uh, Regeneron. <laughs> just put Regeneron. The, just put the bleach inside me. Um, yeah, so what did you guys think? So what about that scene with uh, Homelander and Butcher and the kid? Yeah. Like, Oh, dynamite. Like, yeah. you know, we're obviously on a, on, a, on a speeding train heading to that confrontation. Um, again, having not read the book, I, I don't know if that confrontation ever happens or the nature right. of the confrontation, but 
when it eventually happens, yeah. it's it's going to be deeply satisfying, much the way uh, Stormfront getting the shit kicked out of her by Starlight, Maeve, and Kimiko was. God, that was sad. I don't, I'm going to go watch that girl fight again. Like, oh, I mean, it's it's as I was watching it, I'm like, I, I feel bad. I'm getting this jazzed about one gal getting stomped on by three others. But sure. it feels like that it's girl, the right thing to do. That girl sure. deserved a stomping. Yeah, true. She deserved it. Wow. Girls uh, really do get it done. Wow. Yeah, uh, I love that. That uh, line was brilliant. That was good. Um, but but yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I, 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 I just want to talk about Homelander overall. So please make your point about this particular scene. No, just I think that, um, you know, Butcher's disdain for supers mm. being really challenged this season, both in Ryan, uh, you know, this kid that right. uh, and and his relationship with Starlight. I mean, I thought there was this really nice arc of him sort of altering his because, you know, to go to that point where he's like, I'll get you out of here, but I'm not getting that kid out of here. Right. To right. then inversing it to where he loses the thing that he's wanted for two seasons, but right. she makes him promise to take care of Ryan and he's there, he's there and there's this kid and he's like, he's now de facto a, you know, and because we've seen how he was raised now, thanks right. to the scene with John Noble, uh, you know, wherever Ryan's been taken, I think that the butcher Ryan relationship is going to be a big part of season three. Mm -hmm. And now you have sort of these, both of these characters butcher because he made a promise to the woman he loves more than anyone and Homelander, because this is literally his kid. Right are both going to be sort of duking it out for how does this kid get raised? I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, can this kid be raised in a way that he can be the hero that we want a, a Superman to be, or is he just going to be another Homelander and, right. or is he going to be another butcher? I mean, like, you know, are you going to be a butcher with superpowers, which is not the best thing either. So I yeah. think that like what happens to Ryan and now that he's been taken away and put in the government, we're sort of going to get like a, a Homelander 2.0 storyline. And I think what happens with him is going to be really, really interesting. Who was that? I saw somebody walk past. <laughs> so, so for those of you that have not realized my background is different, I'm actually at my uh, girlfriend's home right now. And uh, she's been texting me that she really had to pee. No, that's fine. So that's what she, everyone hit uh, mute for a second. There's a, the, and also uh, the thing is, uh, by the way, this is the worst sitcom version of my two dads. That's for sure. Those two guys. But I mean, but Homelander, <laughs> Homelander, does have a really sweet exchange with Ryan when he's sitting on the 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 uh, couch with him at that uh, house in was it New Hampshire or someplace? But sitting down and actually having a dad moment, actually talking to him like a father, uh, and even Homefront is like kind of moved by Stormfront. that. Stormfront, sorry, Stormfront is kind of moved by that moment, and and us watching it, we're like, wow. So he is capable of this. He is capable when he's put on the spot. And that's and then Butcher, too. Butcher having that scene with him sitting down after everything has happened out there in the woods uh, on the leaves, having that conversation. So both of them – but once again, both of them mirroring are mirrors of each other, Mike. This was very – this was brought forth very strongly in the season, and it was flat out said by Starlight how they are basically two sides of the same coin and how they raised this child is or, or try to get involved in the raising of this child is going to be interesting to see down the road. Because uh, will, like you said, will he pick up the worser parts of both of them, or will he be better than both of them? And then in the end, will he unify them? That's the most interesting thing because we've seen glimpses of Homelanders possibly being good. Like he has an ability to be good if he wants to be, but it, there's so much evil around. Uh, there's so much evil he does, and so much selfishness that he does that it's difficult to believe they're going to get there. And I guess that's my overall question for you guys. Do you think in season two, although they presented him initially in those first four episodes as a massive cock, as we go through the last four episodes, we got glimpses of his humanity, for lack of a better term. We also got glimpses of how the upbringing messed him up. You talk about the face that he made when she mentioned white genocide, the uncomfortable kind of slap in the face a little bit, uh, but didn't want to ruin what he's got going on with her. Do you think this is, they're, they're heading towards a long-term redemption of homelander given all no. the terrible things that he does you don't think so no all right the the season ends i think they're setting it up. off on, the season ends with him literally masturbating on the city saying i can do whatever i want like yeah, that's cuz that's him trying to reclaim power after these three women have essentially castrated him i think you're and and logically still 
Yeah. I think you are vastly overestimating the amount of humanity that they showed in him this season. I think you got like maybe a two second scene where you were like, yeah, man, you could have been a good guy, but you went down the wrong road. Like he is, what? he's, he's irredeemable. Like he's, you think monster. he's irredeemable. Nicholas Costello pushing a kid out of a window. He got redeemed. You think he can't be redeemed? Well, here's the difference. I think in Homelander the, can be redeemed. I do. I do. What, what, Ooh, uh, what? Jonathan what the, killed I, six billion people. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What? Um, Kylo Ren killed Han Solo, and you went on for like two years about how he was irredeemable, and yeah. you couldn't redeem Kylo Ren. Yeah. Uh, the Homelander. <laughs> I didn't like, like him. I didn't like him. But I just, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just like, I, uh, I actually, <laughs> whether they try and redeem him or not, I don't, I yeah. don't know, but I just kind of find the fact that you think that he had enough human moments this season to even think that's a possibility, uh, fascinating to me. Well, I'll present, and, and Shannon, you chime in on this as well, please. I, I'll present it this way. We saw the way he was raised. He was not raised. And even the dad, the pseudo dad figure said, I raised him to be tough. Yeah. I raised him terribly. I put him in and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. So he broke him and forced him and manipulated this guy into becoming Homelander. But his natural instinct is not to be the way he is, which is why he was able to have that tender moment in exchange with his son. But that was a it, false that was a false moment though. It, it's not a real it's yeah, a it is all. a false moment. No way. Yeah. Legitimately trying to reach remember he doesn't have the emotional vocabulary that normal human beings have because it wasn't raised by a mother and father it was raised by a scientist sure. or a doctor All to be manipulated true. to be this hero and so his but impulses he's... are way out there when he indulges sure in them. so you have to teach but, him but, but you're saying but you're saying when he indulges in them as if this is a rare occurrence like he indulges no, no. in he them indulges every in moment of his life well, not every but he certainly does a lot yes I, I think the moment that he referred to his son as a little shit, who who just he, when he's talking to Butcher, that little shit. No dads ever said that. Right? No dads ever called their child a little shit. I bet not, I in, not in this capacity. No, not in this capacity. I mean, look, he. I mean, look to your point. I mean, look, as, like, as like we've been saying, punches, you know, what like we've been saying, like we've been saying, uh, Butcher and Homelander are, are are flip sides of the same coin, and I right. think you only have to look as far as Homelander. To see what they, I mean, I'm sorry, look at Butcher to see what they think of Homelander. Like, Butcher also raised to be a monster. Butcher also has done horrible things. Right. Butcher sitting with Vogelbaum, threatening to kill his entire family unless he does what they want. And then his daughter bringing the tea and him being like, this is lovely. Like, you see that Butcher was also raised to be just as much of a monster. But Butcher has a Huey. Butcher has the woman that he loves. Butcher right. has the boys. And we see that Butcher's worst impulses are curbed and that's why butcher even though he's not a great guy yeah. is our hero in this show homelander despite your uh Wait, feelings you think about butcher him, is the hero of the show well huey's I the hero of the show great. huey's the hero yeah, of the show the but hero. butcher is set up to be someone who is we care about butcher and we see butcher make the right choices uh, Butcher was not going to help the kid. By the end of the season, Butcher helps right. the kid. Butcher makes a promise. Butcher tries to push everybody away. They end up coming back in. Butcher is worried about Huey. Butcher has actual moments of humanity, and Butcher has moments even with his wife where he was like, he was gonna, the, the deal he makes with Vought is, right. uh, let me take my wife away, you take the kid, and he goes right. back on that deal. So we see over and over and over again, Butcher come to a moment of conscience and ultimately, even though he doesn't always, we see him more often than not make the right choice. Yes. Homelander, Homelander, you get one scene where maybe he's being nice to his son or maybe he's just trying, like, he, he definitely wants to have a relationship with Ryan. Yeah. But ultimately, Homelander treats every, he might for a moment be sort of nice to Maeve before he fucks her over. Right. He, Definitely loves Stormfront or cares about Stormfront or sees her as an equal until the second that she says she's going somewhere and she doesn't. And then he burns down his trailer and threatens right. her with his, with her life. Like That's what, Homelander yeah. over and over and over again, despite the fact that, yes, this is how the government ended up raising him, shows us that he is soulless. To Shannon's point, the last time we see Homelander on screen in season two, he's lying and has fucking dead eyes. Like that dude is, I'm sorry, that's the second to last time we see him. The last <laughs> time we see him is masturbating on the city. Those eyes um, are alive then, yeah, yeah. 
But like, so my point being like, I, I do not think that, uh, that there is a redemption story in store for him. Cause I don't think they've done anything to lead us down a road to say, to think anything of him other than, holy shit, you are the scariest person in the world and someone needs to take care of you. I yeah. I think redeeming Hoenlander is, is, is like trying to redeem Joffrey. This is ridiculous. You're both Vader fans. Vader was redeemed. What Vader the- was redeemed for the audience. He wasn't redeemed for the for the galaxy. I mean, not yeah. the galaxy. Certainly for Luke and the audience, he was redeemed. And look, yeah. we're, not, we're not, we're not, you know, uh, I think, and by the way, in this show, Homelander is not a bad person to the audience. I mean, to the world, right? So it's a different from Vader. Well, no, but he's I, starting I, to be. I mean, there's a lot of protests. The door's, as soon the as door's he, starting to open. As soon, right, as, but as, I, soon as Homelander innocent, uh, killed that innocent kid when he like flew into whatever country that was, like there was plenty of people that yes, were protesting Homelander. Right, But you know, people will, will discount that if they can be protected by something like that. I think mm-hmm. people look past stuff like that. Look at the American, look at the amount of atrocities we've done throughout the history of our country to men, women, and children in foreign sure. countries for our own benefits as well. So I'm just thinking you know, do some things. But I mean, in my opinion, I think they have been laying the groundwork and the reason I say this, giving us a background into this guy, and you can compare his upbringing to Butcher's, but I don't think it's even remotely close because Butcher clearly has a mom who loved him from day one and dealt with this terrible man as her dad. And it's essentially a boy oh, as his dad, and essentially a boy named Sue type thing. You know, you you blame me for the what's it, the grit in your eye, whatever it is, or the grit in your gut, whatever it is. But he's basically saying, but his dad still showed up. His dad still, they still have a connection. He had a brother who humanized him. See, Homelander had none of that. He had no friends, no upbringing, not, no mom who loved him, no dad who loved him. Yeah, yeah, nobody but, nobody but is arguing my that point, Homeland but, had a, Homelander had a shitty upbringing. Yes. But not, but it's not, you can't say despite, because that's you can't throw out a really essential part of the character and say they're not redeeming, because I believe that the reason they're letting you see the behind the scenes on him and how terrible his upbringing was and his attempts to try to connect and his overindulgence, and yes, Mike, I agree with you, frequent overindulgence of his impulses shows you he is an emotionally immature child in a man's body. So either he gets taken out or someone brings him to a come to Jesus moment. And I think that's coming. And I think the son is going to be a part of that. And I think eventually they will redeem him and he will do some grand gesture like Vader did throwing Palpatine through that shoot. I think absolutely Homelander down the road will do some grand gesture of doing the right thing and then we'll have to reevaluate everything. And I just feel like they're laying the groundwork by giving you more of his backstory and who he is as a person, giving you more windows into that. Um, they're giving you the uh, groundwork for redeeming him. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I absolutely could be wrong, but I just feel that way. Yeah, this is one straight white guy that I'm not giving a second chance to. He can, uh, <laughs> okay. he can, he can get out of there. He can get it. He, he's, he's, he's donezo. Okay. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Um, all right. Uh, so, um, any last comments? Uh, do do does the A train thing matter to us at all? Do we want to touch on that? Did that go? You know, was there any? I think it's connected to the Church of Collective, so we kind of covered that, right? Is there anything more we want to hit on with any of the other characters, any other storylines before we yeah, wrap up? Well, I mean, kind of to kind of to uh, the counter to your point about Homelander, mm. I think. A train did have it like a train definitely got knocked off his pedestal and a train ultimately at the end of the day came through uh, with the information on Stormfront. And so he had a moment of redemption where he did kind of the right thing. That's ridiculous. That's the right thing. I'm not saying that he, he gave, he gave the good guys the information they needed to do the good thing. And he didn't do it. And he didn't do, he got rewarded for it. He he didn't know he says to her, I want to get rid of it because I want to get back in the seven. When they hand over the information, he says, I hate that Nazi bitch and I want to get back in the seven. My my point being is not, look, I don't think that this is some awesome A-train redemption and he's the big hero of the show either. I'm saying that Homelander to me has no redeeming moments in the entire two seasons. I think A-train gets a moment where he does the right thing. Maeve gets her moment where she does the right thing. Uh, the Deep, Mm, we're not yeah, sure where he's at yet. Uh, obviously, Starlight is on the right side here. So yeah. I think that we're seeing in the seven black noir still kind of a wild card, but doesn't look like he's got any redemption. He's just like a fucking like. Yeah. yeah um, but so I do think with a train and some of these other characters, like we are setting up more of a come to Jesus moment down the road with, do you want to be a hero to the world or do you want to really be a good guy? Yeah. Uh, and maybe they're going to have Homelander make that choice too. And maybe in the final moments, he will do something that makes him do the right thing. I don't think it redeems him. I think he is irredeemable. Okay. Um, he's, he's like to Shannon's point, 
I don't think he's a Jamie Lannister. I think he's a Joffrey. Uh, so we'll see. I think he's a Joffrey, really. Okay. Oh yeah. There, there was one moment, and I know you guys will probably think this is me being a little, a little uh, uh, too sensitive. <laughs> but there was one moment at the end as uh, Homelander is pleasuring himself. The shot of him being silhouetted by the moon to me that skewed into Fairly Brothers territory. I was just like, uh, you didn't, you didn't need that. Like that no, was. I thought it, that it was, was them making fun of Batman and the I shots mean, of him in the moon and all sure. that stuff. I, just, I, I mean, just thought it, I just thought it was too broad. I thought it was too intentionally comedic. Oh, it, okay. it, it was to me that was that was a send up. I was like, okay. eh, what? Come on! Yeah, but I, I, also, I also didn't like I didn't like the joke at the end of Kingsman where the Icelandic princess says, oh, "You yeah. saved the world. We can do it in the butt." I was like, you didn't you didn't need that. Well, I don't like that moment in the Kingsman Kingsman because I think it's kind of gross and misogynistic. I think that the uh, I think that the moment at the end, I'm with Johnny. Like they were clearly going like we've seen. Every image of Batman on the gargoyle with the moon in the background or Superman kind of standing mm. triumphantly on the Daily Planet with the moon in the, like the superhero looking out over his city, Spider-Man uh, yeah. crouching on a gargoyle. Like every superhero has their moment where they're looking out over their city that they long to protect in this beautiful shot with the moon behind them and Homelander uh, jizzing on the street uh, to me yeah. was the perfect ending for this season. Like I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that is... Because you're irredeemable, that's that's what you is. Okay, I think because you're redeemable and so desperate uh, for love that that's something stupid you would do to try to yeah. reclaim your manhood. Um, yeah, but uh, I but okay. Anyway, all right. That uh, yeah, I res- I respect you guys' point of view. I totally get that you think that, but I just have seen it happen in so many shows. They redeem the worst people, and we've seen so many people get redeemed already. I mean, the, remember the deep four starlight to give him a blowjob in the first episode of the first season. So it's like we've found our way to redeem this guy to a degree. And so, and Starlight still hates I him. I love it. I don't know if he's redeemed. Know, redeemed. Well, redeemed. Putting him through all this shit is essentially turning him into a, a basically kind of an underdog character. I imagine through the right. That's at least that's what I see happening here. And eventually, but he's still, but he's still doing everything for the wrong reason, though. So did A Train. It's all for the wrong reason. It's selfish desire to be part of the seven again. That's it. It's no other reason than that. He's not right. a good guy in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't think, and that's why I think you made a great point, Mike, earlier in the in this review where you talked about how all the men are pretty much uh, fucked up guys, and all well, the women in in except in Huey. Seven. Oh, right. Well, I mean, no, like, I, mean, I, think, I mean, in the seven. I mean, in the seven. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think that seven. I think that it's safe to say that everybody in this show. With the exception of Huey and probably Starlight, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think of it. Like Huey and Starlight are the only two characters in the yeah. show that don't have a past that makes them kind of horrible. Yeah, um, like like every single other person in the show, whether they're on the boys' side or yeah. on the seven side or anywhere in between, like have all done horrible things. I mean, yeah. you know, Frenchie, Mother's Milk, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Butcher. Kimiko, yeah, yeah, like every one of them, like everyone has done horrible things. So yeah. like everyone is in the shit. Huey right. is sort of your canary and Starlight is your, I really actually legitimately wanted to be what everybody is pretending yeah. to be. And so yeah. I think that seeing where everybody goes in this mess, it's it's not about, I think at the end of the day, it's not about does this redeem the things you did in the past? I mean, just like Frenchie saying to Kimiko, like I said before, I thought protecting you was going to make up for this. Like, I mean, everyone's kind of dealing with their shit. So seeing where they all go and where we end up is going to be interesting. But I think it's less about, are you now a good guy or a bad guy? And more about like, are you, are you making the choice to start to do something good? And maybe they will with Homelander. We'll see. I think you're right. Everyone's, uh, everyone's dealing with their shit. Homelander's dealing with his shit. I'm just saying. All right. Well, there you go. That's our, I think that's a really good comprehensive uh, spoiler review of season two of The Boys. Let us know what you thought in the comments section below. Were we right? Were we wrong? Do you think he's utterly irredeemable or completely redeemable? Do you, uh, what character stood out for you? Was there anything you didn't like about this season? Anything that bothered you? All of that. Let us know. Let us know what you thought about what we thought about the season as well down in the comments section. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at NK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Sis. 
Nike? Uh, and look, whether you think Homelander is redeemable or you're right, you should definitely uh, continue to watch Geek Buddies and, uh, and, and, and enjoy it in the fun. And here's some things that you can do. Uh, you can definitely like this post down below. Uh, let YouTube know how much you enjoyed it. Definitely leave comments below. Let us know what you think about Homelander. Is he redeemable? What did you think of the rest of the seven? Like Johnny said, what did you think of the season? Um, and if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, definitely rate us, give us some stars, leave a comment. That always helps us out. And the best thing you can do is share this on share this video on Twitter, share it on Facebook, spread it around to your friends, tell everybody that they should check out the Geek Buddies and have them join in the fun. There you go. All right. Not much more to add to that. So thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.